Brother Glenn, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. I, I believe in Bible conferences. I, I'm in my 29th year as a traveling evangelist. God called me into evangelism at a Bible conference that I just attended to be blessed, be stirred up, and God had forever changed my life at a Bible conference just like this. It's a joy to be with you. It's good to see my friend Erica, a fellow evangelist, and uh, it's my thrill to be with you on this night. Take your Bibles, if you would, and find 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Everybody standing. I am in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last letter, of course, to Timothy, the great man of God facing execution shortly. And he writes some urgent words in 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 9. Paul says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. And then that arresting line in verse 21, the urgency of the great man of God, he says one sentence, do thy diligence to come before winter. I'm preaching on this subject, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. May God bless the reading of his inerrant book. Please be seated as we're praying together around the house. Father, our hearts are stirred tonight for this word that we've heard and been challenged with. The truth that's been opened to us tonight. Thank you for our brother. Lord, thank you for this wonderful choir, our musicians. Lord, thank you for those who have blessed us, but most of all, joined together to praise your holy name. And now, God, what I need, I need from you alone. It cannot be worked up or manufactured or performed. I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, would you loose me and let me go? And I declare to my enemy that he is a liar and he is not welcome in this place. And we confess out loud to any demon that can hear us, Jesus Christ is Lord. God, would you do the preaching right now? And I promise we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says that God is looking for faithful men and women. I love the story, the first grade school teacher who was teaching her boys and girls about being helpers. Suddenly she looked at those small students and said, I want to know how many of you boys and girls are helpers at home. And little hands went up all over the classroom. And she began to ask, what do you do to help? One little girl enthusiastically spoke up and said, I help out at home. I dry the dishes. Another little boy excitedly spoke up and said, I help out at home. I feed the dog. Another little girl spoke up with great excitement. Said, I help out at home. I sweep the floor. This went on all morning. All those little hands kept going up declaring what they did to help out at home except little Jimmy. Little Jimmy sitting over in the corner had his hands folded. He never said one word. And it began to bother the teacher a little bit as she said, Jimmy, he said, yes, ma'am. She said, did you understand the question? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you help out at home? He said, oh, yes. She said, Jimmy, what do you do to help out at home? He said, I stay out of the way. <laughs> now, folks, unfortunately, that describes a lot of folks in our culture. There's a lot of folks in our generation that seem to stay out of the way. 
Never get engaged and never get involved. Never get cranking and never get committed. Never get on it and never get with it. But I'm going to tell you some of them are sitting in the church. I'm telling you some of them are church members. And they're not church members that are out away from the church. They're church members that come every single Sunday. And some of them just sit on the pew and stay out of the way. And that's why from time to time we need revival. Because revival stirs us up. And revival shakes us up. And revival wakes us up. And tells us to do what God saved us to do. Do what God saved you to do. And don't wait too late. That's the message that an old preacher named Paul gave a young preacher named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now the old preacher is about to die. But he's not about to die of old age. The old preacher is about to be executed. He's about to have his head cut off. He is on death row in a Roman prison cell. And he writes a letter, listen, of urgency to a young preacher. And he tells the young preacher to bring him some stuff that he wants to see the young preacher again, but he's got something for him to do. We see the young preacher is a thousand miles away. The young preacher is in Ephesus pastoring a church. Paul is in a cold Roman prison cell. Now you know the story. In order for the young preacher to get to the old preacher, he's got to take a ship. He's got to cross the Mediterranean Sea. And that's why Paul gives him some urgent traveling instructions. And they're found in verse 21 when he says, do thy diligence to come before winter. Now, students of the Bible know this, but in case you don't, that word winter has nothing to do with snow and ice. That word winter in the Greek text literally means the rainy season. It means the stormy season. Because you see, when the stormy season came, those wooden ships were docked up. When the stormy season came, they were closed up in port. Nobody navigated. Nobody sailed in wintertime. So again, understand the urgency. Paul said, if you don't come to me before winter, you'll not come to me until spring. And I'll never see you again. So Paul said, come before winter. He said, why are you preaching this preacher? Because I'm telling you, this message written 2,000 years ago is a letter for somebody here tonight. There's somebody here tonight that needs to do what Paul's really saying. Don't wait too late. Somebody here don't need to wait too late to get saved. If you wait too late, you're going to miss heaven and make hell. If you wait too late, that good old gospel ship is going to sail to Zion without you, son. Don't wait too late. Somebody here needs to not wait too late who's a child of God. There's some Christian here I've come to say, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late to get busy. Don't wait too late to get burdened. Don't wait too late to get ready. Don't wait too late to get right. Don't wait too late to become the spiritual head of your home. Don't wait too late to get your priorities in order. Don't wait too late to get on the front line. Don't wait too late to get off your seat and do something for the Lord Jesus. Don't wait too late. Matter of fact, there are three kind of folk here tonight that I believe don't need to wait too late. Somebody needs to hear this. Number one, there's somebody at a Bible conference. Somebody at a Bible conference that don't need to wait too late to serve the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't get good now, son. Watch this. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Brother Mike, I love that word diligence. That word means to move quickly, means to move swiftly. But it comes from a word, are you listening, that means wide open. He's telling old Timothy, put the pedal to the middle. He's saying, make your best effort. It's a motivational word. He's saying, get motivated, get cranking. I preach revivals almost every week and I was preaching a revival uh, uh, five or six years ago in a country church. Big old beautiful country church but it was an old building 
and it was in the deep south. And when I got to the church, the pastor met me on Sunday morning on the front lawn of the church and he was grinning and he said, Brother Rick, we're ready for revival. He said, we had the best prayer meeting we've ever had last Wednesday night. It was really exciting. And I got a little worked up, Brother Mike, and here's what he told me. He said, about 100 people were there and we all came down to the altar around the steps of the church and we were having a prayer meeting and he said, preacher, all of a sudden we heard a blam and a five-foot rat snake fell from the ceiling tiles of that old building. True story. Those old ceiling tiles gave way and a five-foot rat, five-foot, a five-foot rat snake, blam, he says, sound like a gunshot hit that pulpit and the thing started slithering all over the platform. Here's what he said. He said, Rick, I've never seen so much shouting and dancing in a Baptist church in all my life. He said, that thing got loose, crawling down those steps, and he said, it sure was exciting. Now, because I hate snakes, I hate them all. They're all the devil's relatives. They're all going to burn in hell. I hate every one of them. The only good snake is a dead snake. I hate them all. I had two questions. One, did they catch the snake? And two, have they fixed that hole in the roof, brother? Because could you imagine if I was preaching on Sunday morning and that thing hit that pulpit on my Bible? I'll tell you what happened. Number one, I'd speak in an unknown tongue. I'm going to tell you that right now. Number two, I'd walk on top of the pews getting out of the building. And number three, students, I may be an old guy now, but I might have qualified for the 100-meter dash on the U.S. Olympic team, son. In other words, I'd have slapped it in beef a boogie and I'd have got out of that house. And he said, boy, Rick, that snake sure shook up the church. And I got to thinking about that. I'm in churches and need to get shook up. All the time I'm in churches like that. And we don't need to get shook up because a snake falls. We need to get shook up because the spirit falls, man. And when the spirit falls, there's motivation. There's motivation. There's that yearning, that desire, that urgency to get up and do what God wants us to do. So I want to speak to you a moment just about serving the Lord at a Bible conference to folks that gave up a Thursday night. Somebody in this building needs to hear this. I want to talk about serving the Lord in two places or two ways. First of all, I want to remind every believer, serving the Lord is the priority of the Christian life. I'll say that again. Serving God's the priority of the Christian life. Look what he says in verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me. Now, he moves from the faithful to the unfaithful. He's, in other words, talking about Timothy to do something faithful. Now he moves to an unfaithful guy named Demas. And let me tell you something, students. Demas was a professing Christian. I'll say that one more time, professing. Now, there's some Bible scholars who believe Demas had to be lost because 1 John 2.15 says, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he goes on to tell us how much he loved the world. I don't know whether he was saved or lost, but he was a professing Christian. Philemon 1.24 said he's a fellow laborer. That's a professing Christian. Bible says in Colossians 4.14, he assisted Dr. Luke at one point in ministry. That's a professing Christian. But now the Bible says the soldier, and that's the word forsaken, it's the word for a soldier being A-W-O-L. Now he says the faithful's unfaithful. Watch this. Demas has forsaken me, and here's why he says it. Having loved this present world. When I was a boy growing up, I was raised in a wonderful Baptist preacher's daddy's home. Uh, there were five of us brothers and sisters and we had such a heritage of, of church. Almost every Sunday afternoon when we'd come home, and I was probably 10 years old when this was going on, and all my brothers and sisters were two years apart. So the youngest would have been about four. Two boys, two girls at that time. And every Sunday afternoon, we'd come back to the house, 
And after lunch, we'd be sitting around, and my brothers and sisters, we always got along, and somebody would say, let's play church. Now, we've just been to church, but somebody said, let's play church. Brother Mike, I was always the preacher. My brother was always the worship leader. One Sunday, we got in a big fight because he rebelled. He wanted to preach. And I said, no, I'm going to preach. And I beat him up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right there in the living room. And my brother said, if I can't preach, I'm going to watch the football game. So he was a Green Bay Packer fan. He turned on that old black and white football game, and he said, I'm going to watch the football game. One of my two sisters said, well, I'm going to play with my dolls. So I'd lost him and I'd lost her. Our church was split right down the middle, man. So you know what I did? I took my other sister and we went out on the front porch and started the front porch church. And I was trying to preach to her and she got bored and went inside to play with her toys and left me with nobody but the beagle dog. And I preached to him for a while until he fell asleep. And I was a discouraged young preacher. I thought, man, my whole church is in love with everything else. I mean, uh, they're in love with football. They're in love with dolls. They're in love with toys. Now, that was a long time before I saw this passage of Scripture. But I want to remind you, the Bible says that Demas loved the world. And that word love means love with a social sense. means he loved the world more than he loved the Lord. Loved the world more than he loved the work of the Lord. Because I see it all the time, pastors. I see full-grown, mature, educated adults that come to church almost every Sunday, and many of them don't do anything but play church. I mean, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just a game. We got folks in our churches, they get involved when they feel like it. They come when it's convenient. They'll serve the Lord when it doesn't interfere with their social schedules. I've never seen a generation where Sunday is less important to the body of Christ than it is in this generation. And we've got folks who've forgotten the privilege. Do you know the latest statistics tell us many young adults, those in their 30s, believe they're faithful to the church if they show up twice a month? just twice a month on a Sunday morning that they're faithful to the church. Folks, I'm not casting stones, but I'm telling you how this love for the world has infected the body of Christ. we got men in our churches, they would pay to coach a little league football or baseball team, but you couldn't pay them to teach a Sunday school class. we got folks in our church that'll break their back working at the concession stand at the high school football game, but you can't get them to help out in the church kitchen. we got folks in our churches that'll rearrange their social social schedules to do whatever they want to do. You couldn't get them to a Monday night revival meeting, man. And we got folks that will spend big bucks to send their children to travel ball teams all over the country who won't pay a dime to go to a student camp. Now listen to me. I've not come to be cruel. I've not come to be cold on a Thursday night at a Bible conference. I've come to plead with you this, that one day believers will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, some believers are going to realize they gave all their energy and all their time and all their passion and all their money and all their thrills to things that did not last. I'm trying to tell somebody at a Bible conference, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late to step up and teach that class. Don't wait too late to stand up and get in the choir. 
Don't wait too late to accept the call to ministry. Don't wait too late to use the gift of helps that God's given you to lift up the arms of the pastor. The calendar is turning. The clock is ticking day by day by day. You've only got one life. It's going to be gone soon. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't wait too late. It is the priority. It is the priority of the Christian life. I was preaching a revival in Missouri. A young girl named Amy came up to me. Uh, Amy, young lady, beautiful young lady, 25 years old. And Amy said, Brother Rick, if I give you a testimony, will you share it all over the country where you go? I said, I will. And Amy, with tears in her eyes, preacher, here's what she told me. And this isn't preacher embellished. Here's exactly how she told me. She said, Brother Rick, when I was seven or eight years old, I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. Said my daddy was a deacon. Said uh, uh, my mama was a choir member. Both of them taught Sunday school. We were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Said our life was built around the church. So when I was seven or eight years old, it was apparent that I was a good soccer player. And she said, after a little while, I was invited to join an elite travel ball soccer team. Now, I know where I'm preaching, okay? I know I'm preaching in modern-day America. I need to stop right now. I've not come to slap your talented teenager. I've not come to attack your family. I know that it's a hot-button issue in a lot of churches. I, but I believe me, I've got a pastor friend that spoke about travel ball recently. had some folks leave his church. And it's a hot-button issue. So I've just come to share a testimony. I've not come to put anybody down. My son played baseball 14 years. He was invited to play on a travel ball team. But understand the priority. Understand what it's about. She said, Brother Rick, it was such an opportunity. We took it and we had to miss church months at a time at the higher levels. As I began to get on up into middle school and high school. And she said, one week it happened. She said, we, we had chapel services on the road, but after a while, we quit going to the chapel services. And then Brother Mike said, one week, Mama couldn't go because of the expense. Uh, da, excuse me, Daddy couldn't go because of the expense. Mama's the only one that went. And that weekend is when her and another man who was a parent on the team got together, began an extramarital affair. It said their marriage began to unravel began to fall apart. Finally, there came a divorce. And here's what that girl told me, weeping now. She told me, she said, preacher, my parents are divorced, don't even live in the same state, haven't been to church in years. She said, I went on to college. That soccer helped me get a scholarship. I went to college, but all I did was party. All I did was drink. All I did was live in the world. When I was a junior, I was in a terrible automobile accident. But by the grace of God, I'd have been killed. She said, Brother Rick, if I'd been killed, I'd have died and gone to hell. But my senior year, I went to a campus ministry function on our school campus, and I got saved. Said, Jesus changed my life. Said, I'm fixing to go to the mission field. I've just completed seminary. I'm going to the mission field. This is a direct quote. I haven't added any preacher words to this. Here's what Amy told me. She said, but would you please tell people this? Would you please tell them that my parents lost their marriage, that I lost my family, and I almost lost my life? And I almost went to hell because we put a soccer ball in front of Jesus. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? It's the priority of the Christian life. But I want to encourage you because serving the Lord is not only the priority of the Christian life. Listen, it's the privilege of the Christian life. Boy, this gets good now. I love verse number 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. And I love this, preachers, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Y'all know what the word profitable means? Useful. He's useful. Everybody that's saved 
No matter what church you're a member of, whatever Bible-believing church, you are useful to the work of the Lord. I'm going to say that one more time. You're useful. Oh, come on, son. We're living in a generation where people think if they can't solo or if they can't preach or if they can't be a leader or if they don't have one of those skills, they're of no use to the kingdom of God. Would you go through Paul's epistles sometime? Do you know there's a hundred names almost in the epistles of Paul of men and women that are just listed in Scripture here and there? I mean, there's almost 20 in this chapter right here. He talks about a guy in verse 11, Mark. You knew who Mark was? Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Mark wasn't a soloist. Mark wasn't an evangelist. He mentions Mark. He, he mentions uh, Tychicus in verse 12. He mentions Carpus in 13 and on and on. Can I remind you who these people were? They were not spiritual superstars. They were not Christian celebrities. They didn't sign autographs and Bibles and have product tables and all that stuff. They didn't have those kind of gifts. These are just simple servants of God who serve the Lord behind the scenes. That's what makes up the church can I remind you you may not be able to sing or preach or something you think is exciting but you're going to give an account to Jesus one day listen you're not going to give an account for being the best you're going to give an account for doing your best that's what you're going to give account for and I'm going to say it again it's a privilege to serve the Lord so many churches are begging for workers I heard about a little country church that had four members you remember their names everybody somebody anybody and nobody that was their names. Well, they had a financial need in the church and everybody was asked to give. Well, everybody thought somebody would do it. Really, anybody could have done it. But in the end, y'all know who finally did it? Nobody. And then everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. And then they needed workers in the church. And so they asked somebody to serve. Well, somebody got offended because anybody didn't do it. Really, it was everybody's job. So in the end, it was given to Nobody. And nobody got it done. I mean, this went on for a while. Every time a need rose in the church, it was given to nobody. Nobody ever gave. Nobody ever worked. Nobody tithed. Nobody served. Nobody helped. Nobody volunteered. And you know what happened? Nobody was getting all the credit. And because it was a Baptist church, everybody got mad. And so one day, somebody took anybody and everybody and left the church. And y'all know who that left to do the job? Nobody. Now that might seem like a silly little illustration, but the truth is some churches aren't too far off that. So a recent Gallup poll says 10% of all active church members in America are involved in personal ministry of the church. See, we've forgotten that word ministry, man. Go back and look what it says again in that last line of verse 11. The Bible says he is, don't miss this, he is profitable to me for the ministry. See, when we hear the word ministry in the modern day church, to us, that's a synonym for being ordained. But that's not what it is. That word ministry there is derived from the Latin word servant. Somebody who wants to serve the Lord. Can I ask you because I love you? Are you interested in being served in the church? Are you interested in serving the church? Because everybody that's saved is profitable. Everybody's got a ministry. Oh, come on, son. Some people have a ministry by building up the body. Some have a ministry working on the building. 
Some have a ministry taking a microphone in their hands and singing a solo. Some have a ministry turning on the soundboard so you can hear the song. Some have a ministry collecting money. Some have a ministry cooking meals. Some have a ministry publicly playing an instrument. Some have a ministry privately being an instrument. Some people have a ministry by leading seniors. Some have a ministry by loving students. Some people have a ministry by making decisions. But some have a ministry by changing diapers. Some have a ministry by being on the praise team. Some have a ministry by being on the prayer team. Some have a ministry by being a musician. Some have a ministry by being a maintenance man. Can I tell you, you are in the body of Christ. We are the army of God. We're the blood-bought church. We're the bride waiting for the bridegroom. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm going to tell you, it is a privilege to serve Jesus Christ. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. And I know this is a Thursday night Bible conference, but somebody here needs to get up off your seat and serve the Lord. Because I'm telling you, if you wait, you're going to wait too late. I love you. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. I'm going to preach to you now. Number two, don't wait too late to share your love. I didn't say that again. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't wait too late to share your love. And I really believe, like Brother Mike, this isn't just a sermon I'm preaching. I really believe God wants it preached for this point tonight. Somebody needs this. Don't wait too late to share your love. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchment. Notice the word bring, that simple little word bring. Literally means to bear or carry, but it comes from a word that means to sacrifice. Now, he's asking Timothy to sacrifice. Timothy's going way out of his way to get some things to bring to the old preacher. It's a sacrifice. Anybody that sacrifices shares their love. I want to talk about that. I've got five wonderful grandchildren. Our latest is a little boy who's only, oh, six weeks old. But I have four granddaughters. Two of them live about an hour from me in St. Augustine, Florida, and I see them a little bit more. One of them's name is Ansley. Ansley has just turned four. When Ansley was three, though, well, no, she still has it at four. Ansley has a real problem. Ansley loves me. She'll cuddle with me. She'll kiss me. She's a cuddling sweetheart, but she will not give me her food. Ansley is an eating machine, man. I mean, her uncle, my son, took a nacho from her at a theme park when we were sitting down for lunch. She just picked him for an hour, son. I mean, she just gave him the old cold stare. I want you to know that kid can eat and she'll share nothing. My daughter told me this story. Said she picked up her little five-year-old from kindergarten one day, the little three-year-old sister. Picked her up from kindergarten. They were going over math. And they were in the van riding along, and she was giving her a hypothetical math question. And so she asked Braylon, the little five-year-old, she said, Braylon, if Ansley, that's the three-year-old, if Ansley had five French fries and gave you three, how many French fries would be left? And that little three-year-old spoke up and said, she can't have my french fries. <laughs> and then here's what she said, I already ate them. Are you kidding me? She'd rather eat imaginary french fries than give them away. <laughs> now, that's a funny little story. And my prayer is, Brother Mike, that I hope she learns to share before she becomes a full-grown adult. But I know a lot of full-grown adults that don't know how to share. Oh, come on, son. Even at this cream of the crop group, Somebody needs to hear this tonight. So can I remind somebody something? If you really want the blessings of God, if you want the things money cannot buy, time cannot erode, robbers cannot steal, and death cannot take, you become a spirit-filled giver. 
You understand what it's like to be a giver. Now, son, I'm going to tell you, somebody here needs to give something tonight, and I'm going to preach to the body before I go to my final point. Can I tell you in 2017, two ways that you can share your love? Two ways. Don't miss this. Number one, somebody here needs to share their love by being an encourager. I need to say that one more time. Share your love by being an encourager. I'm going to tell you verse 13 jumps all over me. It says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. Soonest, that's an unusual request. Bring me the cloak. And that cloak was a heavy wool blanket. And I don't know. Scholars believe maybe Paul was arrested and couldn't take it or, or it was cumbersome to carry because it was a heavy wool blanket. But everybody understand what's going on? The old man says winter is coming. How practical is this? He says winter's coming. It's going to get cold. And I need you to bring me my cloak. You know what Paul was saying to Timothy? Boy, this is good. I want you to cloak me. I want you to cover me. Now, there's somebody here that needs to hear this tonight. Do you realize you've got that ability as a child of God? You've got that supernatural gift to cloak somebody, to cover somebody. Somebody here needs to be covered with a blanket of encouragement. There's somebody in this building that needs to be cloaked, not clocked. We got too much clocking going on. I'm talking about cloak. Now, I'm going to preach on this point. Somebody needs to be cloaked. So I want to encourage somebody tonight to be an encourager. Why? Because I'll tell you why. Folks, we got far too many critics in the church as it is. I mean, we got far too many nitpickers as it is. My land, if you want to get discouraged, just go sit in the middle of some churches. Because they'll point, they'll quickly point out your flaws. Brother Mike, I was preaching in a church last year, and on Sunday morning in that country church, seven people got saved. Seven. And a guy came up to me in the lobby, and you could see him coming. I mean, they've got that look. I mean, a discourager, a nitpicker, a critic, they got that look. I'm not trying to be undelicate, but, but they look like they've eaten something that don't agree with them. Or I'll go, is that look like they got gas? That's what it looks like, man. And they've got that scowl. They've got that sour. They're just perpetually sour. And he comes walking up to me in the lobby of the church. We're rejoicing. I'm seeing families hug each other, love each other. Seven, seven people got saved. He walked up to me and he said, Preacher, you realize you preached 42 minutes? He said that to me. Seven people just got saved. And he said, You realize you preached 42 minutes? And I'm going to tell you, this is how the devil works. Immediately, it was like somebody hit me in the stomach. Immediately, I listened to the words of that old sour puss. Immediately, I listened to him. And, and that's how it goes. Oh, come on, preacher. You'll have 50 people go out your door Sunday and tell you how the sermon blessed them and you'll have one old fuss budget, one old stick in the mud, complain about something and you'll go home and tell your wife that's the only thing you'll remember, man. You will remember those words of encouragement because that's what the devil does to us. Brother Mike, seven people got saved. But I wasn't interested in seven. I was interested in 42. And I watch that old buzzard. That's, he's an old buzzard, man, because all he wants to do is pick dead stuff. I, watch, I didn't call him an old buzzard out loud, but I watch out loud, but I watch that old buzzard walk away, man. We got too many critics in the church. Can I throw this in for no charge? If you attend a church, you ought to defend that church. I'm going to tell you something else. If you defend that church, you ought to commend that church. 
And if you can't commend and defend the church you're going to, bless God, you ought to move your letter and go to a church that you can commend and defend. Because we're all in the same boat. All of us imperfect people who are sinners saved by grace. And I didn't mean to get off in all this, but it's too late. I'm telling you, we've got far too many critics in the church. Church is not a place where we put up barriers. It's a place where we build bridges. Come on, man. Church is a place where we tear down the barriers of prejudice and build bridges of acceptance. Church is a place where we tear down the barriers of judgmentalism and build up bridges of love. Church is a place where we tear down the barriers of pride and build bridges of humility. Church is a place where we tear down the barriers of death and build bridges of life. Encourage one another. I'm telling you, it's a missing ministry in the church. You've got the ability to put a cloak on somebody. See, you don't know who needs a cloak. You do understand the Bible talks about encouraging one another. I mean, read through it sometime, son. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3, he says, 13, he says, encourage one another day by day. You remember when Moses was stepping down as the leader? When God wouldn't let him go in the promised land? And Moses got to go and look over into the promised land, but he couldn't go in. And he'd been leading all them fuss budgets all them years. It grapped about everything. Don't you remember what old Moses said in Deuteronomy 1? He stood up Joshua, the next pastor, stood Joshua before them. And the Bible said, this is a quote from Deuteronomy 1.38. Moses said, church, encourage him in God. He will take you to the promised land. You remember David? Remember 1 Samuel chapter 23 when old David had dropped and decapitated old Goliath? Our brother preached tonight about David. Don't you remember what happened? David was scared because Saul was trying to kill him and old David took it on the lamb and ran to the woods and Jonathan, Saul's own son went out to encourage him. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23 encourage him in God and verse 16 said Samuel said I've come to encourage you in God. The hand of Saul will not touch you. You will be the next king of Israel. You remember when the Assyrian army was camped outside of Judah in 2 Chronicles 32? Hezekiah went before the people who were scared to death and the Bible said he encouraged them in God. And here's what he said. He said, I encourage you. There are more of us than there are of them. They have the hand of flesh but we have the arm of the Lord. I'm telling you, everybody here has the ability to encourage Encourage somebody tonight. Don't you understand what you're carrying? You're carrying a cloak. Go put that cloak on somebody and encourage them. Say, Brother Rick, how do I encourage somebody? I'll just give you a couple of quick ways. You can encourage somebody with prayer. You can cover them with prayer. You can, you can cover them with print. Text them. Email them. Send them a card. My wife's the best at that. Send them a card of encouragement. You know the best way to encourage. Of course, prayer is the main chief way, but I'm talking about to really get involved. Encourage somebody with your presence. Walk across the church building tonight and put a cloak on somebody. Say, I just want to encourage you. Wrap your arms around somebody. Bring them to the altar and pray for them. So I just want to encourage you to put a cloak on somebody. The power of the cloak. I was preaching in Alabama a couple of years ago. Brother Mike, it was a dead church. It was graveyard dead. It was. It was take a pulse dead. I mean, it was. I'm not criticizing the church. It just was. And I was so discouraged by Tuesday night. It was getting late in my year, and I'd already preached myself out during the year and 40-something revivals, and by then it was late in my year, and I was in that little dead church. 
And I went back to my book table, something I never do before the service. I just went back there one night and a man walked up to me and he handed me a little letter, crudely, just a little wrinkled envelope. He said, Brother Rick, I, I meant to give this to you last night. I need to give this to you. Y'all, I opened that. It was a letter, a little handwritten letter from a 10-year-old boy. And here's what the letter said. The man told me that the family had been called out of town at the last minute because the mother's, uh, the wife's mother was, was very ill and they all had to go. It was really a matter of life and death. And that little boy had taken time to write a letter. And here's what it said. This is a quote. I'm not adding preacher ease to this. This is a quote. He said, Brother Rick, I liked it when you were here two years ago. He said, I got saved. And that little boy said this. He said, ever since then, I've been loving Jesus. L-O-V-I-N, I've been loving Jesus. And that little boy said this to me. Keep on preaching, Mr. Rick. Y'all know what that little 10-year-old boy did? He put a cloak on me. I mean, he reached out to me. Wasn't even there, man. He put a cloak on me at the moment of my discouragement. Everybody's got that ability. What's that in your hand tonight? It's a cloak. Put it on somebody. Because you know what I believe? I believe old Timothy did go see Paul. Went out of his way. Gave up whatever he was doing to go see Paul. And you know what I believe, Brother Glenn? I believe when he walked in, I believe he had that cloak around his arm. But I think there was something more important than that cloak because I think when Paul saw Timothy, I think his young friend was a cloak to him. You got anybody like that in your life? They're just a cloak. Can I challenge you in 2017 to be an encourager? Can I give you this one before I go to my final point? Can I challenge you to share your love by being an encourager? And can I challenge you to share your love by being an evangelist? For look what the Bible says. Did you miss the rest of verse 13? The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest bring within the books, but especially the parchments out. Most scholars agree the books may have been Jewish history books, might have been Old Testament books. But they know what the parchments were. The parchments, literally the animal skins. Yeah. Now, now some say, well, they're probably the letters Paul had written, but then some say, and I have no trouble believing this, Brother Mike, so some say they could have been blank pages that Paul was still going to write. You understand what the old man's doing? So, son, he's not having a pity party. He's having a praise party. He's not waiting to die. He's going to finish. And so until his death, he's going to keep writing. And I have no trouble believing what he wrote because I'm reading part of it tonight. Writing about the blood of the Lamb of God. Writing about the resurrection of Jesus. Writing how a poor lost soul can be saved. All the motivation of this chapter is doing the work of the ministry to bring people to Jesus. So can I encourage you before I wrap this up? Be an evangelist. Say, I'm not called to be an evangelist. No, you're not. You're saved to be an evangelist. All of us are witnesses of these things. Say, well, I've never had a soul winning course. Oh, no, Adrian Rogers said it best. True, witnesses is one, true witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I once was blind, but now I see. Student, be an evangelist at school. Be an evangelist at the office. Be an evangelist at work. Share your love by being an evangelist. Two weeks ago, I was, no, last week, not this past, but the week before, I was in Georgia, not very far from Mother Mike. I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Love it when I get to preach in Georgia because I get to drive. And I was in Valdosta, Georgia, the great Northside Baptist Church. And that pastor, Robbie Foster, told me a story. And I asked him, can I tell it? He said, I wish you'd tell it everywhere you go. Here's, here's the story. I was at that same church, Brother Mike, two years ago to the month. Two years ago, they had a friend day at the opening day of revival. They called it a crusade. And they had a friend day. And they had a friend day this year. And Brother Robbie was so worked up, he's always worked up. He's an excited pastor. 
And Brother Robbie said, Brother Rick, can I tell you what happened last friend day? He said, last friend day, and he says, this is accurate. You can report this as factual. I wrote it down so I'd get it right. He said, two years ago at friend day, one of our shyest, quietest, most reserved women in the church named Nancy at work invited her friend Tiffany to come to church on friend day. She didn't tell her about Jesus, but later Tiffany said she had already seen Jesus in Nancy's life. There was something different about Nancy. But Nancy invited Tiffany to come on friend day. Tiffany came on friend day, didn't want to come alone, so she brought her 16-year-old daughter. When the invitation was given, her 16-year-old daughter walked down the aisle and got saved. The next Sunday, Tiffany's daddy came to see Tiffany get baptized. Or Excuse me. Tiffany's husband came to see the daughter get baptized and Tiffany's husband got saved. And then the next Sunday, Tiffany got saved. Well, they brought an aunt and an uncle and they got saved. And then Brother Robbie said two or three weeks passed and they brought a cousin and the cousin got saved. And he said, Brother Rick, because of one invitation, six people got saved and 22 people, faithful, God-serving people joined our church. 22 people came into our church because the shyest woman in our church opened her mouth at work and invited somebody to come to church. How in the world can we shut up? How in the world can we be quiet? If you believe your church is the greatest church in America, y'all didn't invite people to come to the house of God. God, man. Say, well, they always turn me down. But you don't know who'll say yes. It's worth it all, man. Share your love this year. Don't wait too late. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't wait too late to share your love. And you know the last one. Don't wait too late or your soul will be lost. Don't wait too late or your soul will be lost. For look what he says in that 21st verse. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Students, you do realize our life is like the seasons. Everybody in this building has a spring, summer, fall, and winter. And I know some students sitting here not saying, oh, Rick, I'm a student. I got to be at springtime. My godly daddy went home to be with the Lord the first Sunday of January. I had the privilege to preach his home going. He preached for 60 years. On Friday, the day after the funeral service or the homegoing service, I went with my mother out to the grave where they had dug and just want she wanted to go out and look at it and look at all the flowers. All my other siblings were there. Mama's arm was in mine, preacher, and we just walked around, looked at those grave markings and gravestones. My daddy was 86 years old. I still believe he went too early. His last two years, his body fiercely broke down. My daddy was 86. And as a preacher, I should know this, but Brother Mike, I got a vivid reminder. I'm walking among all those tombstones, and I came across a 14-month-old child. The date was right there. I came across a 13-year-old teenage girl. Date was right there. I'm walking with Mama, and there was a picture of a beautiful 29-year-old girl. Her grave was there. I began to go through that graveyard. It didn't take me long until I found a 31-year-old. I found a 47-year-old. I found a 50-year-old. I found a 63-year-old. And then I came back to a 17-year-old. And as I walked among all those graves, I realized none of us know when winter is. All of us have a spring, summer, winter, fall, but you might be in winter right now and you don't even know it. Does everybody understand what Paul was saying to Timothy? Don't miss the boat. Don't miss the boat. Get on board the boat. See, some of you meant to get on the boat last year, 
when the Holy Ghost gripped you with conviction, but you missed the boat. Some of you almost got on the boat last night or last Sunday when your heart was under conviction. Well, now you're here tonight and you've got another opportunity. I'm not speaking to you. The Holy Ghost is. Don't miss the boat. Say, but Brother Rick, I can't afford the seat. It's paid for, man. All you got to do is get on the boat. The reservation is ready to be made. Don't you understand? Everybody is going to die. Before the rapture of the church, those of us that live at the rapture will be caught up. Hallelujah. But if the rapture tarries, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And you need to be reminded the most important thing about death is not death itself. It's what follows death. Because everybody in this building dies one of two ways. You either die in God or outside of God. You die a child of God or a child of the devil. You die on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. Don't wait too late. You heard about the demons that had a meeting with their master Satan. Before they infiltrated the earth, they were apprentice demons. They were going on their first assignments. The story said Satan got together with them and said, boys, we need a new plan to damn the souls of millions. Who's got a good plan? One young excited apprentice deacon spoke up and said, I know, master. Let's tell everybody there is no God. Satan said, well, yeah, but that's been used. That's been used. And here's the thing. Folks can look at creation and see that there's a God even though they don't understand him. Another demon spoke up and said, I know, Master, let's tell everybody there is no hell. Say, so yeah, that's a good one, but it's been used. And beside that, people can look at the evil around them and know there's got to be a punishment somewhere for sin. Many will realize that. Finally, the third demon spoke up and said, I know, Master, let's tell everybody there is no hurry. There's no hurry. Let's tell them they got plenty of time. They don't have to get saved today. They got next week. They don't get saved at 14. They're going to live a nice, long life. Let's tell them there is no hurry. On the way to church tonight, I told Brother Mike what happened this week in the revival I was in in Monroe, North Carolina. Preachers, I've been preaching a long time. I've never seen anything like it. I was preaching about hell. And it was the conclusion of my sermon, the last point, Brother Glenn, and I walked down to the main floor just like this. That church wasn't near as big as this beautiful building. Seat about 300. It was packed that night. People were packed on the front row. And I'm preaching away now. I'm near the end of my sermon. I had one illustration to go, preachers. And all of a sudden, I, that church had one center aisle. didn't have multiple aisles. All of a sudden, like this is a center aisle, I caught movement peripherally. And I looked up, and a huge guy, big old boy. In the deep south, we call him a hoss. <laughs> that old boy stood up. I'm not kidding. Put his foot on the top of the pew and jumped over the pew. Put his foot on there. Didn't, didn't go around. Didn't say excuse me. Now you got to understand, I'm standing right here and this guy's right here. And you know what kind of day we're living in. And I saw that big guy come out of that pew and I'm thinking, oh Lord, what does that guy want? He's probably mad I've been preaching on hell. What, what, what does he want? He wasn't coming for me, boys. I've never seen anything like it, preachers. That guy jumped over between two women's ears. Two separate women. He jumped between, I need to clarify he jumped between their ears. That old boy made a beeline to the altar, fell on his face and started sobbing. And it was so loud, I shut it down. It's time to shut it down anyway. Preacher runs up, puts his arm around him. That old boy got saved right there. And they stopped and he gave a testimony. Here's what he said. He said, I didn't mean to disrupt the service. I couldn't wait another minute. I needed Jesus. Jesus. 